This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. There was an idea. The Avengers initiative. I can do this all day. I'm a superhero. I come to bargain. I love you, please. That's my secret, cat. I'm always angry. You should have gone for the head. And I. Wakanda forever! Why is Gamora? Iron Man. We are. Welcome to a brand new episode of Den of Geek Presents Marvel Standom, where we try to give you the deepest possible dives into all the goings-on in the MCU, Marvel Comics, and beyond. I'm your host, Den of Geek News and Features Editor Kirsten Howard, and joining me today are Den of Geek TV Editor Extraordinaire Alec Bajalad and regular Den of Geek pop culture contributor, Mr. Dr. Joe George. This episode of Marvel Standom is powered by eBay. We'll talk more about that later. But first, we finally get to talk about the penultimate episode of Loki season two, Science Fiction, where Loki admits his real motivations for trying to save the TVA and Sylvie gets a nasty surprise. I love this episode, you guys, and I'll talk more about it in a bit, I guess. But I'd like to hear what you thought, Alec. Honestly, I'd like to hear more about what you thought, but I understand okay. you spoke through the whole intro, so you need a break. Um, <laughs> and I'll, I'll try to provide that. Um <laughs> You know, I, I really liked it. I, I am genuinely curious to hear you talk more about it because I think you have maybe the the better, more incisive, uh, interesting take. But I just generally enjoyed it. I think, like, if I want to just get my complaint out of the way now so we can move past it, the season's so confusing. At no point in any of these five episodes have I understood the stakes or what the temporal loom collapsing means or whether more multiverses was good or bad, whether people were in danger or not, like what is an existential threat and what isn't. So absent those, I I feel like it kind of makes this episode tough to like resonate emotionally with me, but it's really creative and fun. And I love seeing everybody in their, uh, their own prime timeline. Joe, what did you think of this one? I loved this episode. And one of the things I loved about it is actually kind of related to what you just said, Alec, because I agree. I've not understood the stakes. I've complained on the episode or on the show before about how the only kind of larger stakes we really got was from Sylvie complaining. And I I think you're right in that I don't know that I can articulate the stakes, but that visual image of everything turning to spaghetti is so upsetting to me. I don't know why it it. I don't. I didn't realize that was a phobia I had until I'm watching that episode. And just the look of it, especially the last one in the record shop, is I can't articulate it, but I felt like something is very, very wrong. And I loved that. That was so much more satisfying than had somebody sat down, or, you know, like had the ancient one showed up again and done a a graph to explain to us why all of this matters. It it 
it it shook my soul <laughs> and that's good so yeah great episode i think i think christy you nailed it in your review it's it's one of the best things marvel's ever done and i'm so pleased to see that happening here yeah i mean i put that out there on friday and i didn't know whether anyone would agree <laughs> and what i found out is that i think most people agreed but there were some people who certainly didn't. I mean, I watched this with my boyfriend and I loved it. And he turned to me afterwards and said, meh, that was, you know, whatever. You know, he wasn't blown away by it. Oh, I'm he sorry was... for your breakup. <laughs> <laughs> he thought it was really underwhelming. Um, but I felt like it delivered on stuff that people have been complaining about, not just during this season, but uh, with these MCU shows in general, like I did feel like it made the stakes a lot clearer than it has in the previous episodes by showing us at least, you know, one of these uh, alternate timelines um, turning to spaghetti. Um, it had character development. You know, we had uh, some stuff with Loki that actually they'd built on and that made sense and didn't feel forced was that he, you know, he was doing it for a selfish reason. He wasn't saving the TVA because he was so invested in like saving all these people. He just didn't want to be alone without the people that he'd gotten to know. Um, he had the great, great Justin Benson, Aaron Moorhead visuals. I'm sure they worked with the VFX department on that. Interesting concepts. I like the idea that, um, you know, that we've been concentrating on what are the rules of this thing? What are the time travel rules? You know, what what is the science of this thing? And does it make any sense to us? And uh, Obi kind of just says, no, it's like a fiction problem. It's nothing to, it, like, that stuff doesn't even matter. And I really enjoyed that. Plus, it had the huge, a, a huge reveal for fans of the character, uh, especially from the comics. And that is that Loki seemingly is, is reaching his God of Stories arc, which is, you know, big. I'm a big fan of that from the Agent of Asgard comics. Um, Joe, do you, have you read those comics? And do you like Loki God of Stories yourself? Yes and yes. Um, but I, I haven't caught up with Loki. That, that happens like right before Secret Wars. So my understanding was that it kind of, it never really got paid off. So I I am so excited to see how that works, to, to see that God of Stories idea um, implemented here, especially with the way that OB was describing things. I am a, I like science fiction better than fantasy generally, but um, I approach science fiction like it's fantasy, meaning that as long as it's, you know, it's all made up, I don't need any sort of explanation, as long as it's satisfying on a fiction level. And OB just, said all of that i've never felt more represented by <laughs> a short nerd describing why science why fiction is better than science that was a pointing at the screen moment for me so yeah but to get your question yes i i love the god of stories idea i think that's such a good idea for this version of loki to retain that sort of trickster energy the the god aspect that has been missing this entire season while he's been tom um while still feeling true to this take on on loki it's it's great like you said i feel like it was a very interesting twist in the comics that didn't quite get paid off by the the writers that took over from there that went maybe in a little bit of a different direction but it could very much work for the mcu here um for a for, for a fan of the comics it is like akin to sort of like 
Loki picking up Mjolnir or something like he can now rewrite reality as uh, basically um he is like sort of um on a power set level with perhaps Wanda Maximoff or someone like that where he he can alter you know the way things have gone basically by using instead of lying telling turning lies into stories that then you know yeah so I I don't know whether you know any more about that Joe because I it was a long time ago that I read those comics (laughs) well like I said I I always rely on you to remind (laughs) me what happened there there's not not much happened I mean that's that's it he he walks into the house of ideas that's you know Marvel um and he sees all the books and realizes he can write his own books and so it's you're right that it functions like Wanda, you know, where where she's recreating reality, but it's closer to he's closer to the watcher or even above that. Like he can he he controls reality now. And uh it it's it's almost too much. You know, the way that I kind of understand it happening in the MCU is he can go to any point in time and affect things if he wants, but in the comics, it's very much whatever story Loki tells becomes a reality. And so he's in the hierarchy. There's like the one above all, which is again, Stanley, Jack Kirby, Kevin Feige in this version, and then basically Loki. So he's, he's more godlike than he was before in the comics. But like I said, they, they reboot the entire Marvel universe. And then that kind of doesn't get brought up again after that. So you didn't miss, or you're not forgetting anything. They just never really did anything with it. This is just a moment at the end of the episode, right? Where, and I think that, you know, nerds like us have like got really excited. Like it's the God of stories. This, 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 <laughs> thing, we're finally going to see them do something with it. And this, um, Alec, were you getting any of that from the end of the episode? I mean, <laughs> perhaps like, what, what did this, uh, did it feel like a big reveal or a big twist to you when Loki could control his time slipping and then sort of, snap back to before the meltdown or what um or did you not sort of have any concept of that i had absolutely no concept of it like story is definitely not the first thing that came to mind watching that my my first inclination was oh he has special time powers now i need to rewatch this episode a bit more closely because that's another thing that doesn't fully make sense to me and maybe they lampshade it with you know the conversations about science versus fiction but i don't know can you guys explain why is is loki just been pruned so many times does he have a special relationship with the tva where does this god of stories thing come from where does the time powers come from i don't think we know yet but i would hope that we will find out in the finale we'll get more towards like what we think might happen next and predictions and stuff in a bit. Um, But first we're going to hear from our sponsor, eBay. eBay is the premier destination for collecting comics both old and new. Whether it's that highly sought after iconic comic or an obscure niche that speaks directly to you, odds are you'll certainly find it on eBay. Here's a list of comics that are must-haves for any fan of Mobius and the TVA. Thor 372. Only the most committed Marvel zombies recognized the time variance authority when it showed up in season one of Loki. But unlike Miss Minutes or Hunter B-15, the TVA does have its roots in the comics, and it isn't just an MCU invention. Technically, the TVA first appeared in Thor 371, 
but it plays a bigger part in the follow-up story in Thor 372. There, Thor and the futuristic Justice Peace join forces to save Jane Foster from the monster known as Zaniac. Still in its earliest phases, the TVA has none of the Terry Gilliam-inspired aesthetics that make Loki such a delight. Instead, it feels more like a familiar science fiction trope, as does the Judge Dredd-like design of Justice Peace. However, Thor 372 still has plenty to offer readers thanks to writer Walt Simonson and John Bashima's eye-popping work. Fantastic Four 346 In comics and the MCU alike, Mobius and Mobius is the face of the TVA. On Disney+, Plus, that face belongs to the delightful Owen Wilson. In comics, the face belongs to Mark Grimwald, a longtime Marvel writer and editor who established a reputation for understanding the company's twisted continuity. Walt Simonson paid tribute to Grimwald when he introduced Mobius in the epilogue to Fantastic Four 346. Later stories will do more to establish Mobius's personality as a nitpicky but also playful continuity cop. But Fantastic Four 346 shows why Mobius put so much effort into maintaining the timeline. Written and illustrated in Simonson's bold and blocky style, Fantastic Four 346 sends a strange lineup of the titular team to the Stone Age. So in addition to the first appearance of Mobius, you also get to see the Thing tangle with a T-Rex. What more do you want? Fantastic Four Annual 24 the Loki series originally presented the TVA as an annoying collection of bureaucratic fuddy-duddies, but few stories demonstrate the importance of the organization's duties like the Korvac Quest, a Marvel-wide crossover that began with Fantastic Four Annual 24. Built around a 31st century functionary whose pursuit of knowledge pits him against the Marvel heroes across the timeline, Korvac Quest shows how messy things can get with alternate universes and branching timelines. Written and drawn by Al Milgram, Fantastic Four Annual 24 finds not only the FF teaming up with the Guardians of the Galaxy from the future to prevent Korvac from gaining the power of Galactus, but also sees Mobius trying to keep things in order with TVA red tape. The story puts the TVA's mission into perspective, without sacrificing the amazing adventures that time travel tales offer. Avengers Annual 22 As seen in Thor 372, the Time Variance Authority has its roots in sci-fi stories from other media, so of course they'd pay homage to the greatest time traveller in pop culture history. The Doctor from the long-running BBC series Doctor Who. Avengers Annual 22 teams Kang the Conqueror's strike force the Anachronauts with Justin Alphonse Gamble, who bears more than a little similarity to a famous Time Lord. As he and the Anachronauts battle a familiar group of robots set on exterminating their enemies, Gamble explains his origins as a TVA justice who went his own way, making delightful trouble for Mobius and company. It's a fun, low-stakes B-story in an oversized annual filled with 90s goodness, including a team of Avengers who all wear leather jackets for some reason. She-Hulk 1 MCU fans know that Jen Walters can never separate her legal career from her superheroes, and that's doubly true of her Marvel Comics counterpart. So when Jen's client claims he killed a man who will murder him in the future, Jen runs afoul of not only the US justice system, but also the TVA. 
Part of writer Dan Slott's legal comedy take on the character, 2005's She-Hulk 1 shows the ridiculousness of enforcing the law in a world with superheroes. Despite a story that involves not just the TVA, but also some of the most obscure characters in Marvel history and a plot to bring back a then deceased Hawkeye, the story stays focused on Jen, making for a wonderfully lighthearted read. Head on over to ebay.com today to start or expand your collection. And now, back to the show. Welcome back. Now, during this episode, uh, we get to see the real versions of our TVA friends like Mobius and Hunter B-15. Um, it was a huge moment, um, personally, to see that Mobius is from Cleveland, Ohio. Not only did we get the jet ski moment you, you absolutely had nailed on, Alec, but he was from basically the ideal, the, the platonic ideal it's the, same the, the ideal so. jet ski location. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, I don't know much about Ohio, Alec. Is there a booming jet ski vibe there? Is there is is there is there a lot of jet ski opportunities? No, not at all. You know, I was thinking about it when I was watching it and like I don't recall ever seeing like a jet ski dealership in my day-to-day -day life in Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> um but I did, I Googled it and like, I think there are a couple of spots. Like you could, you can certainly rent a jet ski to go out on Lake Erie, but I don't know many people who have just <laughs> jet skis in their garage when it's 11 degrees in November. <laughs> it was great to see um, Mobius's life. I think that that's another thing that added to the stakes of this episode to me was that, you know, we had all these sort of wild predictions of who he might turn out to really be. And actually it's just like, he was a, da a single dad. Um, so even though his sons were like terrible, <laughs> they were like, <laughs> they were believably terrible. And, uh, I, I, I wanted him to be able to get back to them. So I think that helped. Joe, did you enjoy the reveals of Mobius B-15 or was there any moment that you were like, mm. well, yeah, when Cleveland, Ohio showed up, I was disappointed as a, as a Michigan native, I have a deep-seated hatred of Ohio. I know plenty of people who own uh, uh, jet skis to ride on the lakes. So I don't know why they decided that. Maybe Howard the Duck connection or Harvey Pekar is going to show up at some point. That would be Dude, fun. The but... MCU is enraptured with Ohio. Like, <laughs> that's where Black Widow is canonically from Columbus. Um, that's like, right. There are scenes set in Cleveland in, I think, Infinity War. I think it's the Russo brother connection. I don't know. Or maybe oh. just like the most average state you could think of. But like, <laughs> the fate of the MCU goes through Ohio. It's like a, a ley line. Yeah, <laughs> it is the prime timeline is Ohio. <laughs> well, that's terrible. Um, But no, I mean, despite the disappointment of him not being Mark Grunewald, like I had hoped, um, uh, it was it was nice, as you say, to get those sort of stakes, even though I kind of feel like Loki's lying about uh, about his relationship with the kids, because I don't know, I, I that just seemed to come out of nowhere. So I don't entirely trust that. Um, my favorite out of the bunch, though, was uh, seeing just B-15. Just uh, It was just such a nice, humane moment that felt like an... This this sounds like I'm dogging on the rest of the MCU, and I'm not. But it does feel like it came out of some other type of story. And um, I, I, I don't know how to pronounce that actor's name. I'm so sorry. 
Um, but she's wonderful. And it was nice to see her kind of stretch those types of muscles, you know, for a minute, just in this nice little doctor child interaction. That was that was really warm. Um, and it added more stakes then uh, uh, to just kind of be that reminder of what we lost. I I loved all of that stuff. Yeah, I really added a, a, an extra dimension to the characters and like made the TVA, what was going on at the TVA feel more important than um, because it has been so mixed up in a lot of um, a scientific chat that maybe doesn't make a lot of sense. So just, just seeing the humanity uh, behind these people in, in their real lives was, was kind of a treat. There were, quite a few easter eggs in this episode um casey real casey is i guess frank morris who may or may not have they're, they're very unclear about these things but have escaped from alcatraz um back in 1962 with the anglin brothers uh, the anglin brothers in this episode played by the directors of the episode uh, aaron moorhead and justin benson um, another Easter egg in this episode is that Hunter B-15's real name in the closing credits is revealed to be Verity Willis. Uh, if you know that name, it's because she is the friend that Loki makes in the Agent of Asgard run by Al Ewing, who Loki cannot lie to. She can see through any lie. Uh, so they become fast friends because he can't get away with anything while he's interacting with her. Um, there was also the Zaniac arcade game. You know, we'd seen Brad Wolf at the start of the season, or I think it was episode two. I'm really getting mixed up with these now. We're on, almost to the finale. I'm running out of, uh, of memory space. Um, but yeah, calling back to his um, character that he's been playing in the movies on the Sacred Timeline. Did you guys spot any other Easter eggs in this one? I'm really bad at finding yeah. Easter eggs. You, you, you shame yeah. me. What do you think, Kirsten? Did I? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we did, but we wanted to make sure you caught them all. So, right. Okay. We also saw that B15, um, when we went to her, it was in 2012 New York, um, which oh, obviously was the year that Loki attacked New York. And uh, I think I saw someone saying, like, is that, is that, did she recognize him as like the, the man that was like currently? Mm. Had just attacked New York and like was therefore like the worst possible person, but they never brought it up. So I feel like perhaps she didn't recognize him. Um, I mean, it's a branch timeline too, so who knows what happened on, on that? Right. One. Okay. He might. He might not have even been there. Maybe Alligator Loki is from there, and yes. she does not recognize him <laughs> as an alligator. So there's been a serious lack of Alligator Loki in this in this <laughs> season. If I have one huge complaint, it's that. We haven't caught up with Alligator Loki, and I, I hoped at least one episode would be completely focused on him. <laughs> you really, um, that's what you want for the finale? Is just yes. <laughs> <laughs> forget everything that we saw before. Let's just see what yeah. Alligator Loki's doing today. <laughs> we'll just leave that as a cliffhanger and we'll and we'll just go over to hang out with Alligator Loki. Yeah, that's the perfect finale, isn't it? We'll, <laughs> and then it says, you know, we'll find out in season three what happened. <laughs> it's absolutely fine. We can wait. Um, does anyone have any predictions for the finale based on this episode? Really don't. I I have read, I, I think Eric Martin or somebody mentioned that the finale is going to be pretty conclusive and not end on a cliffhanger. So that's really all I have to go on. Yeah. And I mean, usually at this point, you know, in the pen, penultimate episode of a Marvel show, I feel like I have at least enough to make a prediction. Uh, I think it's to the show's credit that I really, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. That's their job. 
you sent me on Friday to write an article that included internet predictions. Um, yes. <laughs> and I want you to know that my internet rabbit hole of Loki predictions went long past Friday into Saturday really? into Sunday. So I have what? seen so many. I got addicted to it. I don't I don't. There's some really good. There's some really good ideas on the Internet. And let me share them to you. <laughs> but um, it's like quicksand, Joe. You can't, can't get well, sucked into that. Well, here I am. So my my favorite that I found after and I didn't mention with the article is um, something to the effect of Loki is going to be the one that assembles the Avengers now because he sees uh, he's going to let everybody go from the TVA and is going to do it himself to prepare for the coming of Kang. Uh, and that will be him kind of building up and recruiting people uh, to fight Kang, which does bleed a little bit into like the whole Tobey Maguire is going to return and Hugh Jackman's going to return and all of that sort of stuff. I really hope it's not that, but that seems interesting to me. The thing that I want out of this, though, is that Loki, as the god of stories, is trying to recreate a prime timeline. Uh, but it has the effect of every, to everybody else of him lying, you know, that he's manipulating things. And so we have that wonderful thing where he's returning to villain status in the eyes of everybody else. But through what we've seen in Loki, we are sympathetic with him. And they get that wonderful sort of sympathetic villain thing. I just, I want him to feel malevolent to a certain degree again i think this is a, a good way for it to get there so all of that said we do know from how much we want to believe that variety article that came out a week ago about how everything is messed up at marvel was very much like the finale is all kang they're, they're never going to get away from jonathan major so i'm sure it's more that but um i can hope based on that article i expected to see kang in episode five and the fact that he wasn't makes me wonder kind of about the veracity of that uh, I am curious to see how much Kang there is or is not uh, in the final episode. There's been some things that have called the veracity of that article into question yeah, I, on, on other things that make me hope that we can move away from Kang. And, you know, you could see it's kind of setting up for Loki to be the new guy behind the, the new he who remains, you know, that could happen. Of course, I was just rewatching the episode. The the previously on begins with he who remains saying every step you've taken, I've paved the way. And so there is like this is has he been playing 3D chess this entire time? And Loki is actually doing what he who remains. And it's all going to add establishing back to him. That's a possibility as well. But you could see Loki becoming the TVA guy and in a way sort of taking he who remains slash Kang's place at least to tie up those story ends so they can bring in, you know, Dr. Doom, a proper villain. Loki, like, kind of retiring to be the the, the next he who remains and just, like, exist uh, behind the scenes of the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe forever would be a really fitting, like, reward and send-off for Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. So I feel like that's on a meta, in a, a kind of a meta way, he's one of the people who have um, ascended the MCU like that. Absolutely. I think we're probably going to see Kang back in some way. I, I can't imagine that this show is going to wrap up without um, bringing Jonathan Majors back. Like we're, at, first, we're going to see Victor Timely and those guys try and save the Temporal Loom, right? But I, I do think like that that they're pretty much set in 
for this story at the moment. Um, like you, Joe, when I saw that every step you've taken, I've paved the way. I thought, yeah, this is probably going to come back as as like it was a, it was all a setup for Luke, Loki to do exactly what he wanted. Um, so I'm I'm interested to see how that plays out. I I don't I hope this isn't the end of Loki in the MCU. Um, I I I would I wouldn't like to see uh Tom Hiddleston exit at this point, and I feel like he's up for it staying on. I don't know. I get that vibe. Like he will just he will still be playing Loki when he's like ninety, and he's he's probably fine with it. Um, the one thing that I did think about, we might have to edit this because I've forgotten what it is. <laughs> I've forgotten. I was uh, my brain just lost it. Oh yeah, the one the one thing that I thought of was that the only thing we pretty much know that it's leading to, apart from like the Kang Dynasty and the ongoing, you know, Jonathan Majors of it all, is Deadpool three, um, which they had started filming on, and they were doing stuff in the UK. And it feels like it would have been a bit of a missed opportunity to not get something with Ryan Reynolds and Tom Hiddleston for the end of this. And I know that would upset you, Joe, but so my prediction is a little bit of Deadpool at the end of this, maybe a little bit of X-Men in general, but we'll see. Would it would it bother you so much that you you discard the entire series? Just throw the whole the whole bath out. I mean, Ryan Reynolds does have that effect on me. Of just ruining <laughs> everything with his, he's gonna say something inappropriate in that snarky voice, and it'll be oh so funny. Uh, no, it wouldn't throw it out, and whatever gets us closer to the X Men at this point, I'm I'm gonna take even if it's crusty old Hugh Jackman. I really hope it's not that. But now that you've said that, it makes total sense. I also think we'll probably see Ravona and Miss Minutes come back in some way, and um, because. Ravona got pruned and Miss Minutes got reset, but I believe I saw a little shot in one of these trailers, which seemed like it was Ravona at the Eliath sort of area. I can't remember what that was called. Sorry, I'm completely blanking. But yeah, so I see perhaps see her again. Yeah, but if if all that we know is that you know Owen Wilson's Mobius is going to be in Deadpool three, and we've heard nothing else about what's going to happen, why not have a little bit of Deadpool uh, just to upset Joe and to make me happy? That's it for this episode of Marvel Standom. Make sure you're subscribing to us wherever you're watching or listening right now. Don't forget to check out our web home of denofgeek.com where you can find all our Marvel coverage. You can also follow us at denofgeekus on Twitter and denofgeek on Instagram. If you need more, all episodes of Marvel Standom are available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks once again to the sponsor of this episode, eBay. Be sure to check them out for all your Marvel-related collectibles. This has been Marvel Standom on the Den of Geek Network. Until next time, please be good to each other and stay safe. Thank you for listening to Marvel Standom, produced by Andrew Halley, Kirsten Howard, and Joe George. Hosted by Kirsten Howard. Editing and graphics by Andrew Halley. Social media coordinator, Lee Parham. Additional artwork by Chloe Lewis. Production assistant, Michael R. Music licensed from Soundstripe.com. Marvel Standom is a production of the Den of Geek Network. For more information, visit denofgeek.com.